Everyone has a story. Stories of adversity, stories of perseverance, stories of accomplishments, and maybe even stories that will make others laugh. No matter the story, we can be inspired and motivated by them. Most of all, we can learn from them. This is the Big Peach Ride Run Podcast, hosted by me, Dave D2 Martinez, and I want to hear your story. Welcome to the Big Peach Ride and Run Podcast. Yes, I am your host, Dave Dolomite Martinez, and you can call me D2. It is episode 135. And today I have a special guest. Um, I'm jo uh, joined by um, Fee Rodriguez. And if you have uh, listened to us for a while, she was um, joined us on episode 127 with her husband, Alex. And that episode we uh, talked about, um, they were the owners of North Georgia Running Company, and we talked about them joining the Big Peach Running Company family. Um, they had become a franchise, and we made that announcement on that episode. And um, during one of my meetings um, that I, you know, that we have, um, I had announced that we were relaunching the podcast and sort of kind of, you know, the direction and the type of stories and, and information and content that we wanted to provide, really talking about um, personal stories and challenges and anything that would be of, uh, of interest and relevant to our, our listeners. And shortly after that, I got an email from Fee. And she said that she had, um, you know, she would like to share her story and it has to deal with uh, depression, mental health and and how she got into running really uh, as a way to uh, kind of deal and process, um, you know, uh, the loss of her of her brother to uh, suicide. And so I was really, um, you know, surprised because I didn't know that that conversation had never come up. And for her willing to share that and want to talk about it openly, I thought, well, absolutely have to have you on the podcast. And I do think that, you know, we need to talk about mental health uh, a bit more. And, and you know, I'm happy to, to have anyone on the podcast that is open and, and, and willing to share, you know, their struggle or, or their story. Um, and dealing with uh, any type of mental health um, and, 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 you know, whether it's an illness or, or, uh, or just, uh, you know, just getting over whatever struggles that they may have. So um, she will be uh, joining us on the podcast. Um, but before we get into it, I want, you know, it is uh, the end of October. We are just uh, uh, two weeks away um, from the Atlanta Winter Bike League, and as I've mentioned previously, this is a ride that uh, is open to everyone, all abilities, all pace groups, and this is a training ride, but it's a very social and non-competitive, no, no, no one gets dropped, everyone is kind of placed in their own um, you know, uh, pace group that they'll be comfortable uh, in. And this is really for those that want that group ride type of environment that is going to be friendly with uh, individual ride group leaders for every pace, um, not to get dropped, learn some, um, you know, how to ride in a pace line and, and double pace line, um, learn some rules of the road, ride in a very safe type of environment um, while benefiting and getting some you know, some training, you know, in and maybe kind of get you prepared for the spring. Because like myself, uh, in, in previous years, I have sort of kind of, you know, put the bike up for the winter, come back in the spring, and I'm in no cycling type shape. And then I've got to spend all spring and summer before I, I'm ready to do any long type of distance uh, riding on my bike. So in doing this, you know, you ride through the winter, you build up on any fitness that you've had over the spring and fall, ride through the winter, build on top of that and come back in the spring and you're in, in, in tip top shape and can tackle a uh, metric century or a century if that's what you want to do, you know, come April. So the uh, Atlanta Winter Bike League starts um, November 19th and goes through uh, the end of March, and, and, and we meet every two weeks. I will be one of the uh, group ride leaders. Um, the first ride is an hour and 40 minutes, and then every two weeks it increases by 20 minutes. Um, and by the end of it, we'll be riding um, over four hours, almost five hours, four hours and 40 minutes. So it's a great way of just kind of building up that endurance, being comfortable on the bike, and, uh, you know, and really just a great social type of uh, atmosphere as well because we meet over at 1010 White Street or West End 
um, Wild Heaven Brewing and Finca de Filter. So Finca de Filter is that coffee shop inside the Wild Heaven Brewing uh, Brewing uh, establishment there. So there's plenty of coffee um, before the ride if that's what you need to get a little caffeine to kind of get going. And then with Wild Heaven, there's plenty of, uh, you know, Pokes Ride drinks and, uh, you know, and they've got a, a really nice menu there. So if you're really famished from, uh, you know, a, a, a great training ride, there's plenty of food there as well and other places that you can also, you know, um, you know, visit while you're there. So plenty of parking and we do have actual real bathrooms at the start. Um, so the rides are... Uh, <laughs> You know, every, like I said, every two weeks, um, starting on November 19th, I hope you'll come out and join us. We've had a great group over the previous years. We've got new uh, ride leaders that are being trained, including myself, to lead the rides and keep you guys all, uh, you know, safe and, uh, you know, teach you how to become a better cyclist and uh, and improve your endurance um, while you're at it. And uh, so I hope you'll join us. So, um, you know, after this break, you know, we'll come back and we'll talk to Fee and we'll, you know, kind of learn her story and kind of share some of the stuff that she's done. She's also ended up doing Cruel Jewel since the last time we spoke to her. So we'll get a little bit of a race recap uh, from her and a little bit, uh, maybe even some training tips from her uh, for those of you that are either interested in doing that long distance type of uh, ultra running or, uh, or maybe just curious about what it takes to mentally prepare um, and, and, and even physically prepare uh, for a, a race like that. So we'll have that coming up next. At Big Peach Running Company, we take pride in listening to your needs. We take into account the shape of your feet, previous injuries, and activity level to guide you to comfortable shoes for your feet. Whether you're a runner, walker, fitness enthusiast, or simply need comfortable shoes to wear, we offer the best customer experience in the friendliest environment. It's no wonder we've been voted one of the best running stores in America by our fans. Visit any of our nine Big Peach Running Company locations for a free fit assessment and video gate analysis. Go to BigPeachRunningCompany.com to learn more. All right, so welcome back, everyone. So um, our guest today is Stephanie Rodriguez, or Fee, as she's affectionately called, and she is a co-owner of our uh, Big Peach store up and coming. And when I had pitched the idea or shared the idea with the rest of our team of relaunching the podcast and um, really kind of talking about people's journeys and overcoming challenges and, and, you know, really if there's anyone out there that knew of someone or wanted to share, you know, that please let me know and contact me because I would love to have their story and feature them and, and maybe we could all learn from them and from their stories and their challenges and sort of kind of help build this community and know that we're all in this together. And shortly thereafter, I got an email from Fee who said, I have a story to share and I'm willing to be open about it and to talk about it. And it has to do with some things that even before I hit the record button, found out a little bit more details. And I was like, wow, okay, this is really kind of, you know, interesting and, and a lot deeper um, than I had initially thought when she reached out. And um, so, you know, we'll start this by, you know, thank you, Fee, for, you know, for joining us and, and for sharing your story. And, you know, I, I tend to kind of start the conversation first with, you know, kind of how did you start running? You know, when, you know, were you always a runner? And I'm not sure whether it's because of what you went through that, that the reason why you started running or maybe you were running prior to that. And then this just kind of helped fuel you to continue to run and maybe accept more, you know, bigger challenges. Um, and we'll get into a little bit more uh, towards the end where, you know, you did Cruel Jewel 100 and finished your first 100 race. Um, and so I'm sure all that kind of ties in together. But, you know, where was running, you know, where did running first start for you? You know, where where did you kind of pick that up? Good morning, Dave. And thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to share uh, my story. Um, running for me was very foreign. I didn't know about running and it was the never crossed my mind. Um, I didn't start running until um, 2012, actually. And um, <clears throat> it came about uh, through um, losing my brother to um, suicide. And um, so I didn't really start running until 2012. And it just so happened one day I went out for a walk to try to... Um, you know, um, get some therapy and just, um, just be outside and, and, and 
to help with the emotion that I was going through. And I went to a local park in, um, that had laps and I did, I walked the first lap. And then after that first lap, I remember feeling, um, okay, I feel really good. This, I feel some peace here. And then I started running. So the second lap I ran in it and it, it was very slow, but I just gradually picked up my, my pace. And, um, and then from there, that's where it took off. And then I found myself going back and to the park and running and, um, eventually signed up for my first 5k. My, my brother, um, lost his battle to, um, mental health, um, and depression in July of 2012. And then I did my first 5k in October of that same year. And, um, and thought what this, and I felt closure there. I felt closeness to my brother and, and just the activity of getting outside and moving my body and, and, um, you know, having my mind go in a different direction other than being at home and just being depressed. I went outdoors and started moving my body and my mind started moving. My thoughts started shifting to a different direction and I started feeling good. I started feeling better. So um, that's initially how I, I started running. Well, as far as, so, you know, and, you know, you said your brother had, uh, you know, um, you know, depression and sort of kind of, you know, mental, you know, kind of health issues and stuff. I mean, was that something that, you know, because I think when, you know, I, I don't have experience with this, but I know that for mm -hmm. a little bit that I do know is that the people that, you know, family members, friends that are close to that individual, there's a, they're the ones that are left with questions and not understanding why, you know, and what could have been done. Mm -hmm. Was this something that you, you, you knew, you know, that he had these issues beforehand and, you know, um, was it something that you were left with questions or, you know, with a suicide, obviously it's a very tragic mm -hmm. and something we, we don't want anyone to experience and we want to provide the help, you know, that they can, you know, if we can provide that to them. And, um, but was there anything that you saw now looking back as, oh, well, you know, this was something that we saw coming. It wasn't a surprise or maybe it was a complete surprise. Maybe we weren't aware of the issues that he was having. Well, it's definitely something that, um, you know, he, uh, my brother struggled with alcohol and drug abuse um, pretty heavily. So we had, there was a point to where we saw him um, really strung out on drugs and, um, and uh, the childhood that we all as siblings had to go through. Our dad um, was abusive and also drugs and alcohol who later ended up in prison. And that's where we had to visit our dad is uh, behind bars and then so just living a life of um, confusion and lost and abuse and um, so we all had to live through that some of us um, as far as me and my siblings we you either adapt or overcome or you you know it takes away from you and unfortunately for my brother um, he went down that same path as my as our father and um, so we did see some red flags as far as drugs and alcohol goes. Um, he did, he, he left behind five kids. Um, oh. And um, right before, uh, I think a year of being um, off of drugs, he, um, he, he left the drugs, but then went to alcohol. And he was really doing good considering he was just with the alcohol. Um, but he started taking a medication to help with his depression and um, really, really trying to, to do better. Um, and then he, you know, I, I think the final straw was um, for my brother was just he lost hope. It, just diversity after diversity and trials after trials and just struggling. He was a single father and... Um, he lived with my mom and worked at Walmart and my mom helped him out the best she could, but he got into a relationship and that relationship ended. And he was like, I, I just want my family to be happy and I just want to be happy. And he felt like there was no hope or um, that he couldn't catch a break where the, I feel like the, um, 
where there could have been more was he didn't he didn't tell anyone he kept this all in and he didn't express it um and um he just felt alone and and he did leave behind some messages so and in those messages we we could definitely see that he was alone and he felt um hopeless and um, that's where i'm like I wish I could have, yes, there were signs, but they weren't that those kind of signs mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that would, we didn't ever think that it would lead to him taking his life. But, um, and that's unfortunately won't, the family members are left with such guilt and so many questions. And um, it's so, um, yeah, it, it's, um, you know, there's things that uh, it just when you feel like you um, are alone or you feel like you can't connect or you feel like you can't talk, there is where the problem starts. And so that's one of the reasons I was like, I feel like I need to tell my story because people are afraid to talk. People don't feel secure. They don't feel connected to the other people or if they, they for me personally, because I struggle too with depression and um, I have my own um, illness with mental health and um and it stems back from what i shared with you in the beginning of the podcast before we started recording was you know um, i lost a child in a car accident so my depression it 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 stemmed from my childhood yes but it only grew with um losing a child and and then um not having a father and and then had you know, I dealt with losing a child the best I could. Um, as anyone who has lost a child, that's something that, unless you've been there, you can't explain it, and you something you never get over. Um, but you carry that with you for the rest of your life. And then, um, you know, I did go for counseling and stuff like that. Um, and then, you, right when when you feel like you're you accepted things and you find some peace in that acceptance. And then here comes a situation where my brother has taken his own life. And then it's like, you have to start all over again. Um, but you're a little bit wiser. You're a little bit more uh, on top of things. But uh, for this one, the guilt of that and the questions, I felt myself going backwards. And, um, and I ended up having to spend some time in a, in a, in a facility to help me because I was just like my brother. Um, this was after his death uh, that I, it took me a step back and I was like, I'm feeling these thoughts that aren't healthy for me. And I knew it. And, and so I sought help um, because I knew the pain that uh, my brother's death had caused. And um, I didn't want any of that to ever happen again to, again, to my family or for anybody. So, um, and I, I, I'm sorry if I'm (laughs) getting off track, but I, um, it is just, it's a serious issue. And that is one of the reasons, like, I want to tell my story because it's okay to talk about it. It it really is because unless you, if you don't talk about it, nobody knows. And, um, by talking about it, you let other people know that it's okay to talk about it, that you're not alone and there is hope. There are resources and and just being active in itself saved me so much. And um, if I had not picked up running, I don't know where I would be right now. And and I'm kind of glad that I didn't know about running prior and growing up because finding it, later on in life, it's like, oh my gosh, where's this been my whole life? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was like a sweet gift to me, um, later on in life. So, um, it's important to talk about it. I wanted to share my story for those reasons. And just, I, I don't want anyone to have to go through those guilts and those questions of losing someone by suicide, um, or, or even the struggles of mental health, even the, you know, if, um, you haven't lost a loved one by suicide, it, it, it's still, um, the symptoms of it, it, it's debilitating. It, it makes you a recluse. It makes you hide. It makes you not speak. So just learning and knowing, um, 
the resources that are available and that it's okay to talk about it is important. So. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing your story and, 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 you know, like I said, some of this is, is new information because you and I haven't really, you know, spoken a lot about this. This is the first time you're speaking about this and sharing some of the stuff. So knowing that you kind of went through some of this and got help, I mean, you know, I'm so glad you did and that you recognize, you know, some of the things that your brother went through and that you were starting to go through some, some of those, you know, mental health type of issues and, and experiencing depression that you decided to get help. Um, I do, you know, while you were, were talking, I did look up, you know, you know, for anyone that's out there, there's, you know, I did look up a Google suicide hotline and it's just 988. You can call that number, you can text that number and it's the uh, suicide and crisis lifeline here in the U.S. Um, so you can speak to someone, 988lifeline.org. Yes. Um, because, and I, I do think that, you know, as you, as you mentioned, and this is one of the reasons why you said you want to share is that we don't talk about mental health, uh, issues, um, very openly. It's gotten better. I've seen it maybe because of the pandemic, because I think that mm -hmm. isolation, um, brought some of those things up, um, you know, and it's some of the things I think that the pandemic for sure has maybe affected more people and, and created more mental health issues because of, the lack of, um, of the social connection when being isolated and being, you know, when everything was shut down and, and those social connections that we had, whether it was going into a place of work or seeing friends on the weekends and just socializing, mm -hmm. you know, those are all beneficial to all of us. And there are studies out there that says that that's a good thing that even, um, really being, not having those, con those social connections, um, is maybe even, um, um, you know, worse for your health than, than sitting on the couch all day, you know, and not exercising, <laughs> right. um, because it does yeah. things mentally to you that, that, um, that we're just starting to learn about. And the brain is one of those things that is still a, a mystery. So I, I do want to encourage anyone that if, if, if you are struggling through anything to please get help, you know, on one of the previous podcasts, we shared um, betterhealth.com, you know, which is an online uh, source that you can reach out to get, uh, you know, health, uh, you know, mental, talk to someone um, about issues that you're currently having and, um, and they'll, you know, hook you up with a, with a, with a person that, that uh, therapist that can work with you, work through some issues. Um, and it's all done virtually. If you would rather do that than go into an office. Um, and, um, and also, like I said, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 988, use that number, um, text or your phone, you can call that number or like I said, 988lifeline.org. So, um, you know, appreciate you sharing that, uh, you know, and, and having us the ability to have those open and honest conversations about mental health. And I think, you know, and, and I, you know, like I said, I've never gone through this and experienced it, but I can only sort of kind of imagine, as you mentioned, the guilt that comes along with it. And, you know, there's always that question of, well, what could I have done or what could we have done? Did we see the signs? And, you know, it's very easy for someone, you know, like myself, who's never experienced that to say, well, you know, you shouldn't feel guilty. And I'm sure that's, those are things that, you know, when talking to someone, they'll tell you, you know, um, so, um, you know, so, so, yeah, I don't want to kind of, um, you know, dwell on that too much, but I do think that, you know, you, you've done a great job of at least realizing for yourself that you had a problem and you got help. So how are you feeling these days? Or, you know, I mean, since 2012, you started running, you've gotten help. How are, how are you doing these days? I'm doing really well, and I um, am so thankful and grateful for um, for where I'm at in my life right now. Um, I feel awakened, and that's a, a, that's the best um, word I can use to describe. Uh, is just um, knowing it, the knowledge that I've gained and, and the peace that I've gained, um, and the resources, and knowing what to do. Just being educated. Um, puts me in a really good place, um, of, of peace and, um, and just knowing and uh, being so 
today I, I'm doing really well considering and considering the past and, and considering um, uh, what I've been through. So, well, that's, that's, that's great to hear. And so you said, you know, I believe you said October, 2012 was when you did that first 5k and yes. you, you were, you, you picked up running and you enjoyed it and you got, you know, sort of kind of like that, you know, energy and mental boost and you know maybe it's mm -hmm. that runner's high right the endorphins kind of <laughs> yeah. kick in and yeah. that's that natural stimulant that you know uh, elevates you know our mood and makes us feel really good about ourselves and that's why i think a lot of people enjoy running um but uh you know what happened after that i mean what was you got into a 5k you got bitten by the yeah. bug what was the journey after that <laughs> Lots of 5Ks, uh, like from 2012 through uh, 2018, I did so many 5Ks and I was like, you know what, this is great. I'm just going to do 5Ks for the rest of my life. I, I'm doing this. This feels good. And then, um, you know, as any runner would know, you just don't do a 5K and say, okay, I'm good. I'm good here. Eventually, <laughs> so yeah. Eventually you have, you, you just, that <laughs> the bug bites you to go a, a yeah. little bit further. But see, I, this was new to me, so I didn't, I had, looking back at 2012, uh, and to think that I just did a 100-miler and one of the toughest 100-milers, I would have never thought. But, um, so yeah, 5K turned into my first 10K, and my first 10K turned into my first half, and then my first half um, turned into, in 2019, I did my first full marathon, and that was the Chicago Um and um so just the freedom and that i that, that the running gave me just it, it just boosted and um took off and um and then after my first marathon in the chicago um i got introduced to trails and that took on a whole new level for me and that's really where a lot of uh, i found a lot of healing in the trails um, in the mountains. And, and that's my love for, tr for running currently is, um, the mountains and the trails. And I just find so much peace out there. I can go and get away from the world. And, and when I'm out there, I just, I don't think about all everything that's everyday life stuff. I just feel like I'm one with, with nature and with the, with the woods and, um, the stress and the worries of life just kind of, go away and I'm concentrated on my, my mission. And if I know the route, then I know, okay, point A to point B, that's my mission. And I'm just going to enjoy the nature. And then that's where I really fell into love with running was when I was introduced to the trails. And, and then, um, I can't remember what, well, it was probably 2020 because my, um, Chicago was 2019 in October. And it was shortly after that, that next year's when I got introduced to trails and I did my first um, mini <laughs> ultra on the trails, uh, did Georgia Jewel. I did the um, 18 miler. Mm -hmm. And then um, from there, I went on to 50K. I did farm to trail, I, um, a lot of dirty spokes races um, on the trail. And and then from there, just like with the road running, it increased and um, the mileage increased and the, <laughs> the elevation. And I, I seem to have like I found that I really love a challenge and I it just kept me going. It kept me um, motivated. And um, someone had mentioned Cruel Jewel to me about the fifth, like I had some friends that did it every year, the 50 miler. And I'm like, there's no way I would ever do that not the 50 miler and definitely not the hundred miler. Nope. Nope. Don't even ask. And then one day I just, I don't know what got into me, but I was like, I'm limiting myself by saying, no, I can't. And no, I won't. And then, um, I was like, that's not fair to me to limit myself like that. So I'm going to give it a try. And I signed up for the 50 miler cruel jewel and, um, 2021, and I um, finished that. And then um, it's like, yeah, <laughs> the belt is uh, nice, but I don't ever see me getting that buckle. That's that's too hard to train for. It's too much. No, thank you. And then just like the same, I one day I'm just, you know, talking to myself and journaling. And I'm like, 
well, here I am again, limiting myself. And um, I envisioned it. I wrote it down. It's like, I'm going back to get that buckle. I, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to get that buckle. And I told myself that. And I, I literally wrote it down. I envisioned it. I put it on my dream board. It's like, I'm going to get that buckle. <laughs> and so, um, again, I picked one of the hardest hundred milers, but I trained for it and I believed in myself. And I spent a lot of times out, a, a lot of time out in the woods. I sacrificed a lot of family time. Um, it was like a, another full-time job training for it, but, um, I did it in, in, and in that training, I missed the training actually, because I got so much, um, therapy out of it. So much mental, um, mental therapy, mental health therapy. And, um, so, um, that's where I'm at today. Well, that's good. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love trail running. I'm sort of kind of, you know, I go through seasons of it where I'll go and do some more, you know, uh, road running and then fall typically because of the cooler tent, because of the leaves mm -hmm. changing, it just sort of kind of draws me towards the trails. So I've been doing a lot more trail running, uh, you know, recently than, than road. I can't remember. It's been probably several weeks now since I've actually been on the road, but I've been on, on trails and I do enjoy, um, you know, the longer, slower pace, you know, um, <laughs> because I, th I, you know, mentally, you know, on the road, it's very easy to get focused on pace. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, oh, what was my mile split, you know, or, you know, am I faster this mile? What did I do the last time? And you're really focused on time. And especially if you're running kind of the similar, the same route, you know, over and over again, that's right, kind of yeah. what I tend to do, you know, in my neighborhood. But when you're out on the, on, on a trail, the terrain is different, you know, the conditions are different and you're not always focused unless you're running the exact same course every single time. And most of the times you're going to branch off a little bit, kind of change it up yeah. a little bit. Maybe I'll go up here. Maybe I'll, oh, I see a fork in the trail. Let me explore this. I haven't been here in a while. So it's, it's, you know, you, you, you don't focus on the time. And, and, and I think that's where I think a lot of us really truly find that enjoyment in the run mm -hmm. is just sometimes just not, not, don't even take your watch with you. Don't even track your mileage. I mean, I remember at one point I actually really did forget my watch and I went out on a road run and it was one of the most enjoyable runs I've ever had because <laughs> yeah. I wasn't worried about my time. I wasn't worried about my pace. Yeah. I wasn't worried about what my heart rate was doing. I was like, wow, I actually get to kind of look around and take the surroundings. And that's part of the reasons why I enjoy, you know, trail running. And I think as well, I mean, very similar to you, I think our, the timeline there, and, you know, it's quite possible, you and I, when you mentioned Farmer Trails, because I've done all those races. And so I don't, I mean, it's possible we, you know, cross paths at some point. Yeah. And it wasn't until just recently this year that, that we officially met. So it just, you know, the trail running community and, and just running, it's just a small world. Um, but I, I went through a very similar type of uh, experience where, uh, yeah, I started branching into trail running for the same reasons that, that you did. Yeah, I was kind of looking for that new challenge and and doing something different. And I went, you know, sort of kind of crazy, I think, you know, maybe not so much. There's probably people that are, are crazier than I am. But I, I started doing, you know, a lot of 50Ks, you know. I think I did, you know, I did two, two 50Ks in back-to-back -back weekends. And I think I did three over... Uh, a, a month long period, which is, you know, not the easiest thing to do. I really beat myself up uh, as far as physically on, on those tough courses. Um, but the idea of doing a 50 miler or even a hundred miler still hasn't crossed my mind yet. It's one of those things where I, I, you know, I think it's one of those things that you have, you, you have to want to do. It's not something that, that you can get talked into or because I, trust me, I've had you know, the, the, you know, in the trail running community, especially, you know, it's very easy to get talked into because yes. everyone who's done a, a 50 mile or hundred miles, like, okay, so when are you going to do, you know, your you know, hundred miler? Um, I remember crewing for, for a friend and, um, at, uh, Penhody 100 and everyone on the crew was like, this is it. You're going to get bitten by the bug next year. You're signing up for Penhody 100. And I went out and did it. And I was like, 
no, I'm okay. You know, I just, <laughs> there's, I don't have that. Yeah. I haven't had, I, I need that reason. Something that says truly, I want to challenge myself mm-hmm. and I don't have that in me right now. Maybe it'll come, maybe it'll be something that will push me to that and say, okay, I've got something to prove to myself. You know, maybe, you know, maybe I got to hit a certain age and going, okay, this is a bucket list at a certain mm-hmm. age. I don't know what it is. But there is that part of me that sort of kind of, you know, is sort of kind of lingers like, a hundred would be nice. You know, it'd be nice to have, you know, it'd be nice to say that I did a hundred. I don't know right now that I can put in the time and the commitment to train for a hundred. So let's talk, you know, you did a hundred and so, mm-hmm. and you said you had to sacrifice, you know, some time and, and, yeah. and, you know, so what is training for a hundred look like for those that have never, you know, done one before those that might be considering one, what does training for a hundred miler and one of the toughest ones, you know, uh, the cruel jewel, you know, 100 is, is, you know, a, a tough course. I mean, it's up in, in, um, Blue Ridge, Georgia, up in that area, the Cahutas, right? Yeah. So um, yeah. it's, it's you know, a lot, of, a lot of steep climbs. So how did you train? Well, it definitely was a balancing act <clears throat> and with sacrifice <laughs> um, because, you know, we, I was training for Cruel Jewel in the midst of a getting married, buying a house, and transitioning over to the Big Peach. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I remember so, that. It was very challenging and it was a balancing act from, you know, just juggling all that and still trying to make time to train. And, and, but it's, again, it's not just any training, you know, I had to make sure I was training for those big climbs that I knew were, I was going to have to face. So, um, it, it, it took a lot of sacrificing on uh, time and, and, um, even my nutrition, I had to, you know, really learn how to eat differently and build my body for that and nutrition, uh, climbing, right? I mean, just, I mean, I did several night runs because I knew I would, I knew I was going to be out there for um, the two days that the 40, at least my goal was 48 hours. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't in it to win it. And I knew that to me, it was, um, I just want to finish, even if it's uh, 47 hours and 59 minutes, I'm okay with that. <laughs> so, um, so I knew I'd be awake for a, a, a couple of days. So it was just um, getting in all kind of training from climbing to back to back runs and um, running at night. I did a couple of night runs and that was tough. And um so yeah, it was it was a juggling act, but and it was discipline. It, it took a lot of discipline in the midst of all that. So, um, and and that in itself was a challenge. <laughs> so when you know, because you know, everyone goes through this. I know I've gone through it, even at, at the fifty k, where you get to that low spot, right? You get to those sp- spots where it's like, why am I doing this? I should just mm-hmm. quit. You know, it's like here's an next aid station. I could easily just say, that's it, I'm done. Did those kind of thoughts cross your mind as you were going through the, through the 100? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely. And, um, and, and in my reasoning why I had to remind myself is because, um, when I started running was, I, I, I would wear a pin of my brother on my best. And, and so I did it. I was doing this because not only for me and my own, um, wellness, but for my brother, uh, right before he died, um, within that year, he started to become very active because he was trying, he really was. And, um, he was eating better. He was exercising. Um, and so I, I often think of that and, and I, um, and I know if he was still here, he would, um, be living a great life, a, a good, healthy life. And, um, so, but he's not. And so I feel like this is my way of doing things with him because I do feel a sense of his presence with me and um, with him and for him. So I, I knew, and that's where my drive came from when I was like, I'm limiting myself. If my brother were here, he, I know he would be trying to do things uh, and be challenging himself. So 
Um, and that was one of the other, my drive was to, okay, I can do the 50. Okay. Now I can do the hundred. So that was definitely when I hit my low spots, I had to remind myself of, um, why I was doing it and, uh, what, uh, what it meant to me. And, um, it was literally like a aid station to aid station. I couldn't look too much ahead during the race because if I thought about what was ahead, the climbs that I knew were coming because I trained on the course, then I would like, no, I, I don't see how I'm going to be able to make this climb coming up. And then I, I would have to like back out of those thoughts and stay present in the moment. And, um, continuing to remind myself of the reasons why and um and then just literally make it uh, aid station to aid station and once i made it to one aid station i was like yes okay i made it here let me <laughs> recoup and then continue on to the next and um and just being um in each moment not thinking about what was ahead and just being present in my mission and it's just one step in front of the other and and my reasonings why definitely got me to the finish line and my training my you know i i put in the work mm -hmm. so and after so long after you get to 90 miles or even 80 i remember being <laughs> at the 75 mark and thinking unless you have to drag me out of here. I'm not stopping. Mm -hmm. I've made it this far and I've trained so hard and I've done all these things leading up to here. Uh, I'm not, I'm hurting. Yes, I'm hurting and I'm tired, but it, it, I can't stop. I can't quit. And, and that's just like in life itself. You know, I, I, that's one thing I reminded myself that life is hard. Um, some harder for others than, you know, than other people and i think of the cruel jewel as that you know in life that um we go through different stages or different seasons in our life um some good and some bad and just like on the course of the cruel jewel some of those were you know easy cruising and i was able to run and and then but but up ahead there there would be a climb that made it very difficult and, and that would, that has been my life. The cruel jewel reminded yeah. me a lot of my life. So maybe that's why I was drawn to it. <laughs> well, and, and but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've said this in the past and, and I truly do believe it. And you just reminded me of it because I, I remember this back when I was doing, you know, um, triathlons and did Ironman and, you know, then jumped into 50K because, you know, I remember doing, I just wanted to do one triathlon a sprint triathlon, whatever the easiest one was. And I could, you know, write it off and say, done off the bucket list. I'm a triathlete. And there are other people around me that were, of course, you know, talking about Ironman. And I was like, well, what's that? What's that? What's the distance of that? And once I found out, I'm like, I, I could never do that. You know, and then a couple of years later, I did. I did two of them. And it was during those time periods and where you do sort of kind of really kind of get to know what you're made out of, you know, and it ended up becoming what I've, uh, you know, said it's, you know, endurance races, whether it's a, you know, an ultra, a, uh, an Ironman race, anything that lasts several hours yeah. and that you're going to go into a, a low period where you're going to have self doubt and wanting to quit. It's really a metaphor for life because mm -hmm. I do think that, through sport, through these athletic, you know, endeavors, we tend to, if we can pull ourselves out of that, if we can, you know, mentally convince ourselves that we can push forward to that finish line, to that end goal, then we could do that in life. Whatever obstacle that comes our way, we can find a way, you know, of, of, of achieving and overcoming those challenges. And sometimes it is getting help. You know, I mean, when you think about it, that's what aid stations are, right? <laughs> yes. You know, when you're bonking, <laughs> you know, and you're ready to quit, you know, and you come across an aid station, that's the opportunity to get help, to say, okay, analyze what is it that I need? Where, you know, am I cramping? Am I, is it, you know, fuel? What is it? Getting the help that you need, getting the encouragement from the volunteers to move forward and to complete, you know, the next 
you know, stage and to reach the next first aid station. And I think that's those that can be a metaphor for life as well, where when things are not going well for you is to reach for help, you know, ask for help, ask for that helping hand and say, hey, I need to talk to someone or I need, you know, some encouragement. I need, you know, some feedback um, and figuring it all out, not necessarily by yourself, but figuring out what it is that you need to do to reach that next step so that going back to what we said earlier with your brother, you know, it's like if you feel that there's no hope, looking away to find that hope. And maybe that is that next aid station. Maybe it is that helping mm-hmm. hand. Maybe it is picking up the phone and calling someone. Um, and I do think that's sort of kind of where I think these sports and these athletic, you know, uh, endeavors can can really teach us some things about ourselves and what we can actually do because what we can do on a on a on a race course, you know, if we can do a hundred miles, I mean, you can do anything you put your mind to. I mean, really, I mean, it's that's that's sort of what I think the message is, and that community of runners and volunteers is what kind of helps and pushes you along the way to get you there. And it's, it's like I said, it's, you know, you're out on the course by yourself, but really it's a team. It's your support team at home, right? I mean, it was your husband, your kids and stuff that mm-hmm. allowed you to, to take the time to train and do all that. So, right. um, so I, I, I completely agree with what you were saying. Um, as far as, you know, you said you, you know, a lot of time was you know, sacrificed. What was your longest run? I'm just curious for a hundred miler. What was, you know, what was your, like that peak week of training? What was that like? Yeah. Um, oh, it was supposed to be 60 miles and the plan was, um, we had it planned out that we were going to do the Georgia loop. So I was training with, um, my husband and, um, a couple other people that were doing it as well. Um, so we had it, we had a great plan that we were going to do the Georgia loop. Um, Georgia loop starts at Woody Gap and it just really makes a loop all the way, um, back around to the other side of the road. And it's, I think it's around 58 miles ish, Mm -hmm. close to 60. So that was the goal. So we set out one early morning to, uh, well, actually we started um, at 11 o'clock on a Friday and um, the plan was to get, to make the loop and to be back. Um, I don't think we really had a time. It was more so just miles and time on our feet. Um, But our estimated time to be done, I think was around nine or 10 Saturday morning. And, um, and that would have been my longest run. However, we got into some pretty bad weather throughout the night. Um, we we ended up stopping at five thirty in the morning, I believe, with forty five miles. Do and the only reason we stopped was because they were it was thundering and lightning, mm-hmm. and um, it it was just it became too dangerous. Um, I wanted to continue because we only had like fifteen miles to go. But uh, it just wasn't worth it. So we we cut it short at 45. Um, but <laughs> so 45 miles was my longest run. So it, it, so it was a loop. And at 45 miles, you cut it short. So how did you cut it short? I mean, did you have someone? Did you call someone to come yeah. pick you up? Okay. We Yeah, we had, um, again, go back to crew. And that's, uh, thank you for reminding me of that. Because my crew, I, I definitely, if I didn't have the, pe- the support team, that I had, uh, it would have been a very difficult, very challenging, um, to finish. So, um, but yes, we had a, um, we had a crew, um, helping us along the way. We had, um, three sets of different people. We had a a set of people that met us, um, around three o'clock that afternoon on Friday. Then we had a, a set of people that met us at swinging bridge area, um, around 11 o'clock that night. And then, um, our, uh, crew, crewman Victor met us at, um, the, where we stopped, he was going to meet us there anyway. And I can't remember the gap of where we stopped, but he had planned to meet us there either way to help, um, cause to help refuel mm-hmm. and, um, crew us and aid us for the last 15 but so once we got into that bad weather, uh, um, we knew, okay, once we make it to Victor, we're going to, we're going to have to call it. Um, and so, um, once we made it to him, we, it was pouring down rain. We were soaking wet. It was, it was so bad. Um, 
but we he fed us we changed we got dry clothes on and um got warmed up and headed back to woody's gap to to get in our car well the, you know i'm glad you brought that up because I, I didn't even consider that on a training run you would actually use a crew i mean really i mean when you said, oh, we were, you know, longest run was supposed to 60 miles. In my mind, I'm going, okay, you can do 60 miles kind of unsupported with your group. You're going to carry everything, or maybe you would have stuff, you know, dropped along the way. And even then that was sort of kind of far-fetched idea. I hadn't even crossed my mind, but that you had, you know, you had people at, at specific spots. So even mm -hmm. I knew crew was important during a race. I had not really considered uh, a crew and having a team, you know, uh, to crew for you on those long runs and as, as you were practicing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's good. Was, I mean, that's something I yeah. never even considered. I was like, well, if I ever get that bug, you know, uh, <laughs> to do a hundred, yeah. I need to really convince my friends to, to, to join in on this because, uh, I, I'm not going to be able to do it alone. I mean, I, yeah. And then crewing is a whole nother side of the ultra community, the ultra trail running community. It's just, it gives you a whole nother, um, satisfaction really. Um, and, and I, it actually just remembered, this made me remember one of what, um, when I first got the bug for uh, the hundred miler, it was when I was doing my 50 miler and I think I'd made it to Stanley aid station, Stanley gap aid station. Mm -hmm. And there was a lady there who was at the uh, aid station and she was wearing her cruel jewel hundred mile buckle very proudly. Mm -hmm. And, and in that moment I, and I reached out to her and I thanked her for wearing that buckle because I can vividly remember coming down into that aid station and seeing her wear that buckle. And and it sparked something in me. I was like, maybe one day I can, I can get one of those. Maybe. But I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and then when I finally uh, started to believe in myself and write it down and envision it, I reached out to her and um, picked her brain a little bit and, and, and again, thanked her for wearing that buckle that day. That's awesome. The, um, yeah, I mean, crewing in itself, um, is sort of kind of, can be kind of an endurance event in itself, you know, um, mm -hmm. I, you know, in the triathlon world, you know, they're, they kind of, they're referred to as Sherpas, you know, and they kind of, you know, help carry your stuff mm -hmm. to the transition area and they're there to cheer you, um, and on the course and, uh, you know, but in an ultra, um, it's much, much different. Um, I've done it, I've done it at least three times and in different capacities. So the first time I did it, uh, the first two times I did it was for Penhody 100. It was a group of, um, I believe it was three or four of us that went out to crew and we were all in one vehicle. So we're all taking, kind of taking turns and we were all going to run mm -hmm. different legs of, you know, the back half of, of Penhody. And, you know, you're driving around in the middle of the night, you know, and trying to find a spot to park the car for one. And then, you know, you might walk a mile before you actually get to the aid station um, in the dark, um, wait for, you know, your runner to, to, to show up and then kind of, okay, well, what do you need? And we know, we know you need to refuel. Let's do this. Let's grab that, you know, and it's kind of like that NASCAR pit area, right? Where you're like switching things <laughs> yeah. out. Maybe it's like switch socks, switch shoes, let's switch bottles. Let's, you know, get you some food. What do you need? And so there's that part of it. But you're driving, you know, from point to point to point because at least with Penhody, it is a point to point race. So you have to kind of go with, with you know, along the course. And um, so you're not really getting a whole lot of sleep. Um, you know, you might be able to take a nap here or there. And um, and so that was that part of it. And I, I remember running um, the last... I think 10, 13 miles with, with my runner and it was nice. It was, you know, it was early in the morning and, you know, got to get him to finish to, you know, Penhody and, you know, he, he crossed the finish line of the track and all that. And it was awesome to see him accomplish that. The next time I did it was also Penhody and I was a, a crew person of one. So this, this girl that uh, worked at our store, she had attempted to do it the previous year and didn't finish. She actually got lost in the woods and she did it with no crew, no nothing. She was just relying on aid support. 
And I was like, you can't do that. You need someone out there. So I, I drove out there and, and supported her. And that was difficult because as a person, you know, a crew of one, you're handling everything. And she was really, she did not really rely on anything. I maybe grabbed, you know, a couple layers of clothes for her, you know, maybe got her a bottle, maybe uh, switched out, you know, batteries for her lamp. So very easy to crew. And because she relied primarily only on at what they had at the aid stations. But to drive from Atlanta all the way that morning to the start of the race and then drive all every, at, in every single aid station, you know, for the next 12-ish hours, you know, by the time I got to, I think, the, you know, the second to the last aid station, I could barely keep my eyes open. And so it was becoming dangerous for me to drive in the middle of the night by myself. Um, and so that was exhausting. It was, it was, you know, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world because she actually finished the race and I was yes, glad to nice. be there and, uh, and to support her and for her to get that buckle. But man, that was difficult to do. And then the third time I did it, I actually went, um, to Leadville. I had someone that was, nice. you know, another friend that was uh, running Leadville 100. And so she asked me to, to be a pacer. And at first I was like, well, I don't know. And then I'm like, I'm like, why not? It's Leadville. You're right. You know? And so I made a, <laughs> made a, a, a week long trip out of it. And unfortunately she was injured going in. Um, she wasn't at a hundred percent and it wasn't until after the race because she did, um, she, she did, uh, quit at around mile 30 because she, you know, she had, uh, she ended up having a pelvic, uh, fracture. And mm -hmm. so she couldn't run. She was in, 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 in a lot of pain and she had it probably before the race started and it just ended up, you know, becoming worse as the race progressed. So I never actually got the pacer, but it was a cool experience to go out there and to spend some time out in, in Colorado and Leadville. And so once again, I was like, it was a great experience because, you know, yeah. why not? So I'm up for, for crewing. If, if you ever decide to do it again, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I, I've got some experience. <laughs> well, I can tell you, uh, doing Cruel Jewel, um, you are um, qualified for the lottery for um, Western States. So I get one ticket for the lottery and I'm going to use it. I, I, the chances of me getting picked are, um, are slim, but hey, you never know. I have heard my, some of my friends have told me that some people have gotten picked on that one ticket. So uh, that would be my next big adventure. Yeah, um, and if I don't get picked for Western States, um, I've, I've got my eye on a few things. I don't know yet what it'll be, but I'm, I, um, I, 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 I do need something else to, to challenge me. <laughs> so, um, if it's not Western States, um, I am just waiting for something to speak to me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, I, I know Western States is one of the most iconic, I think it's Western States, mm -hmm. Hard Rock and Leadville are, you know, yeah. and those are really, really tough. And, uh, but they're beautiful courses. And mm -hmm. I, 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 I said this recently to someone and, you know, and, and, and they're ready probably to hold me to, to that. But I said, if <laughs> I ever decide to do a 100, I want to do it out West. Yes. I want to do it out in Colorado. I want the epic views. I want, uh, you know, I was like, if I'm really going to do it, if I get that bug then I, then I, I want to do it out west because it's just gorgeous. Beautiful. It's just yeah. beautiful. And uh, and uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I've done a couple. I've done one trip out. Like I said, I did that one trip to Leadville. I did a trip that same year out to Utah and ran Bryce, Zion, and Grand Canyon. And I'm thinking about nice. next year doing a similar one and uh, out in Moab. Yes. And, and yeah. doing that. Um, and I, I did end up signing up to get the newsletter, any emails from the Leadville series. 
<laughs> so we'll see. Like, like yeah. I'm, I'm dipping my little pinky into yeah, that that world again <laughs> and saying, well, what? Let's see what happens. Yeah. Let's see what timing if things kind of pop up and if I get that bug because it's just it's just so pretty out there that I just it is. I want to yeah. I want to go out and run it and 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 be out there. Maybe not a hundred. Maybe something a little less. <laughs> let's sit, let's dip my toe in the water first and uh, and see if I get back into it. Um, so you mentioned also that during your training, you were transitioning over to, to, to big peach. Cause I remember that. I mm -hmm. think we did recorded yes. that previous podcast and I think you were a week or two away from cruel jewel 100. So I remember mm -hmm. that was all happening kind of at the same time. So how yeah. has the transition been now that you're part of the big peach family? How's all that going? Oh, it's going wonderfully. It really is. Um, we are so happy to be part of the Big Peach family. Um, <clears throat> just the um, the sense of being in a family um, and, and then knowing that um, you have all uh, these eight other stores that are behind you and helping you and, and the people behind the scenes. Um, uh, through HR and, and, um, and the finance department to Mike, um, um, Herb, Greg, Denise, um, they all have, and, and you, um, Dave, have all been uh, wonderful to work with and, and just um, coming together to help us be successful because um, without the help, you guys have been crewing us. <laughs> <laughs> So um, it, it's been it's been a great experience. We're so happy with our decision um, to, to to be part of the family, and, and it's um, it was a great move. It really onward and upward is how yeah. uh, we think of it. I mean, you know, sometimes you become stagnant and and, and you just become still. Um, and, and not really, um, and, you know, I think we were at that place where we were kind of looking for, um, we knew things needed to go up or um, changes needed to be made. So, um, you know, Mike um, came to us at a really good time. The timing was perfect and um, it, it was just meant to be. Yeah. I mean, I think everything comes down to timing. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, yeah. we're happy that uh, both you and Alex are part of and the rest of your team is and Liz and, and everyone is part of the Big Peach family. And, uh, you know, so um, I know you guys keep me on my toes. And uh, <laughs> but, you know, that's all part of the fun. Right. I mean, it's the challenges. Yeah. Right. It's it's hey, we have a problem. Can you fix it? Yeah. And like, OK, let me see. What can I do? You know, and yeah. that's part of it. And uh, that's kind of where I get my my little bit of a, of a, of a fix right now is through those little challenges that come away, mm -hmm. you know, come through, through the job and stuff. Um, so, um, so for all of you that are listening, you know, if you're up in the coming area, stop by and visit Fee and Alex and the rest of their team up at the big peach running company, uh, store in, in coming Georgia. Um, and I'm sure that if you're thinking of doing a hundred or even a, a 50 miler, Fee's got some, some training <laughs> tips and some advice, um, and, uh, if you're just looking to, you know, run some trails, I'm sure a few will, uh, be able to, uh, you know, talk to your, talk your ear off about that, that type yes. of stuff. So <laughs> thank you so much, Fee, for, for, you know, coming on the podcast and just being so open and honest, uh, with what you've kind of gone through. I know that, you know, our listeners will uh, really appreciate that. And I do hope that, you know, talking about mental health issues and things like that just is something that we do a bit more often. I definitely am open to having more of those conversations on the podcast. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it was my pleasure, Dave. And thank you for having me. All right. Well, we'll be right back after this break. Big Peach now sells bikes at our Brookhaven location, Big Peach Ride and Run. We help get you into the right bike that fits you and your needs. Many of us enjoy being on two wheels as much as our own two feet. It's not only a great way to stay active and fit, it's also a great way to recover from long runs and also have fun. We carry kids, commuter, mountain, gravel, road bikes, and more, no matter what you prefer. With brands like Giant, Live, a division of Giant that makes bikes exclusively for women, and Momentum, we've got whatever bike you're looking for. Stop by and check out our selection at Big Peach Ride and Run located inside town Brookhaven or check out our inventory at BigPeachRideAndRun.com. 
And welcome back. And thank you, um, Fee, for opening up and sharing your story, your journey, um, dealing with your own um, personal loss. And I just want to once again stress that, you know, if, if you need help, you know, there is help available. There is the Suicide and, and Crisis Lifeline. Um, you can text 988 um, um, if you need more, uh, you know, resources and want a little bit more learn about it, we'll put that in the link in the show notes, but it's 988lifeline.org. Um, and they're there to kind of, you know, help prevent suicide, help, you know, in any way to, you know, if you need help, or you feel, feel that there's no hope, please reach out to them, reach out to someone, you know, um, you're not alone and, uh, you know, we all have challenges and we all have struggles, but there is help available. You just have to be willing to admit that you need help and reach out. And uh, hopefully we can prevent that from happening to anyone else in our community. And uh, so no one has to suffer that type of loss. So thank you, Fee, for you know sharing your story, your journey um, with us, and uh, really appreciate you and, and how you opened up. And uh, so thank you so much. I know our listeners uh, will uh, appreciate uh, you know um, what you've had to share. So um, that's it for this episode. I do want to kind of give you a little bit of a tease as to what's on deck for episode 136. Um, we will have Dr. Amanda Smith, who is a, you know, accomplished athlete, a professional cyclist, you know, uh, qualified for a half uh, Ironman, half uh, the world championship for half uh, Ironman, uh, NCAA uh, cross country, uh, and, and track, uh, athlete, um, you know, a, a trainer, a coach, you know, so many different things that she's, uh, you know, qualified in, but what we end up talking is, uh, you know, about women's exercise physiology and, you know, basically primarily focus on the fact that, you know, there's a research gap that most studies are based on men, really only 6% of studies, um, are inclusive of women. So a lot of the information that's out there for training, for medical, for surgical type of procedures, it's all based on men. So there's a lot of uh, women are at a disadvantage and, uh, and are overlooked in that, uh, you know, in those type of areas. And it affects women, especially when it comes to, to training. And, you know, one of the things we'll find out and learn about is that, you know, the best time for women to train is actually based on their menstrual cycle and the different phases within that cycle. So um, you will learn a lot about that. Talk to uh, Dr. Amanda Smith on the next episode. Until then, you know, keep running, keep riding, keep believing yourself. See you. Do you have a story or know someone with a story that can inspire, motivate, or even empower others? Email me at podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. I want to share your story. Don't forget to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with others.